Welcome to the very first edition of Tag Team Podcasting. I am joined by my host, Matthew Boudreaux. Matthew, what's going on, sir? This has been a long time in the making. This was the longest hot tag in the history of podcasting. We have been wanting to do a show on wrestling for years. And, you know, when we before we jumped into our first episode of what exactly we're going to be doing, I wanted to give an intro podcast, much like we did with the Three Minute Retrospective podcast, just to kind of give people an idea of where we're coming from on this. But to give a little bit of a backstory, like Matt and I, We've been wanting to do this for a long, long time. I did a couple of wrestling podcasts with Luke, and they were fun. And I got to talk a little bit about my past on Binge when it comes to wrestling. But, you know, I didn't really dive into events. With Matt, we have, uh, we have decided to take a, uh, a very uh, similar approach to the way we approach movies, but kind of different. Matt, why don't you explain exactly how we're going to do this show? So we're taking the base format of our main three men in a retrospective show, except it's going to be the two of us. Adam has an affinity for wrestling, but he's openly said he's not really a a fanatic or historian like we are, so it'll just be Garrett and I, but we'll be looking at past, predominantly pay-per-views and doing them in in an order. So, as an example, when we do WrestleMania, it'll be in sequential order. We'll talk about history, context, maybe some stuff in between, all that kind of stuff. So, our format is really not changing. We're just converting it into something that you and I have had an affinity for for most of our lives, and we finally have a platform of our own where we can discuss it in as much detail as we want. Yeah, and uh, again, this isn't an insult to those guys over there uh, where we used to work over at Binge, but anytime a show like this would get pitched, they would shoot it down automatically, and anytime wrestling got mentioned on a podcast, there'd be messages. So me and Matt were like, okay, well, what can we do? And we, for a while there, we even thought about just offshooting and just doing our own thing like we're doing now, except, you know, we'd still be doing the retrospective format over there, and we'd be doing our own wrestling thing. But when the doors opened... One clo- one door closes, another opens. Here we are. And my idea for this, again, is to do it a lot like our retrospective format where we're going to take events and we're just going to go year by year. Predominantly, like Matt said, pay-per-views, but I also want to do, you know, Clash of the Champions. I think those are worthy of being on here and uh, a few other things. But we're going to go in sequential order of the events and just lead up to when, wherever we lead up. And, uh, you know, with how many years have gone into wrestling at this point from the format when pay-per-view and closed-circuit TV started, we have a long way to go. But And one thing about me and Matt is we love building to something, don't we, sir? Sometimes to a fault. Yes, <laughs> as is proven with Predator. So what I wanted to do with this show was to give people a little bit of a background on where we both stand on wrestling. Myself, I grew up in the golden era. I grew up in a Hulk Hogan era, and I was a massive Hulkamaniac. Huge. I think the very first time I even watched an event, I believe it was... I believe it was uh, WrestleMania 3 was the very first wrestling event I ever watched and fell in love with it right away. And I always rooted for Hogan. And one of my best friends who I've already told that we're going to start this thing, and he, he was tickled pink about it, was uh, my friend Omar Smith, who I go over to his house. We watch pay-per-views together. And he was a big warrior guy. I was a big Hogan guy. And WrestleMania 6 was a big battle at, the house, at his house when we were watching this event. Uh, we would trade off pay-per-view buys. I would buy a pay-per-view, and then his family would buy a pay-per-view, and we'd go to each other's houses, and we'd watch them. And that went on for years and years and years. And then when I got to know Adam in high school, he got involved 
involved too, and the three of us would watch pay-per-views. So that's why I think once we get to 96, 97 down the line, it'd be good to have Adam on for at least one or two of those shows because he's he was a big part of that as well, and he definitely wants to be on the WrestleMania 12 podcast. But I grew up loving the sport, uh, loving wrestling, uh, loving everything about it. WCW I watched as well. I watched a lot of that. I didn't get into it until later. I think 89 was when I started watching WCW. It was during the Flair Steamboat Trilogy. Um, A friend of mine was really into it, and he invited me over to his house, and me and him would watch those shows together. So, yeah, I was big into both all through the 90s, except towards the Attitude Era. I kind of faltered, didn't get into that again until later. But I think my two favorite years in wrestling are 1989 and 2000. I think those are the two best years of wrestling. And of course, when I talk 2000, I definitely don't mean WCW. I mean WWEF at the time. I just think that the, that year is just a glorious year in terms of uh, wrestling and WWF wrestling. I think it was just probably the best creatively that that company ever was. I watched it throughout. I taped all Raws. I At that point, I had my own place, my own TV, and I was buying the pay-per-views for myself and inviting friends over and having pizza parties and whatnot just in honor of the events. And I stopped watching around 2004. I think it was right around uh, Unforgiven 2004 was the very last event I ever saw. And I was done. For some reason, I just I put everything down. I'm like, okay, I don't want to put any effort into this. I'm, I'm done with it. And lately, I've fallen back in love with it, although I don't watch modern stuff. I'm going through a lot of the older stuff. I watch a lot of the older stuff as I edit these shows. I watch a lot of the collections that they have on the Peacock Network, which we're going to use for this podcast, just to have something in the, on in the background. So I've, had, I've been back into it now for about two years. But once we get past 2004 in this retrospective format, which knowing us, it will take a while. That's all new territory for me. So that's right. Stand. Uh, Matt, what about you, sir? When did you get into wrestling and what eras are your favorite? Well, let me tell you something, brother. I didn't want <laughs> Come on. You set it up and I, I have to I have the hoops. It's funny I say that because I did not grow up during the Hulk Hogan era, rock and wrestling. I was born in 93. So right when I was alive, Hulkamania had basically died and it was about to go to WCW which is really how I got into wrestling. The first year I vividly remember getting into wrestling was 1998. I was five years old, and the first pay-per-view I had ever watched was sold-out WCW. And it infatuated me so much with this unique art form. When it's done well, there is nothing more magical to me than pro wrestling, maybe movies, as far as entertainment goes. For me, it was a combination of that and the video games. I was a Nintendo kid, so I was blessed to get WWF No Mercy, WCW vs. NWO Revenge. And that's how I learned about all these wrestlers. So when they came on TV, I knew who they were, I knew their moves, all that kind of stuff. I got into WWF through the video games, unlike WCW, which I got into with Sold Out, watching that. And for me, everyone had their side, especially during the Monday Night Wars. Even as a kid, I was more into WCW. I think... If I had to pick a reason why, it was that being the age that I was, my mom was very skeptical of me watching Attitude Era WWF. Even though it was marketed to kids, there's some stuff in there that really, I think, went over the line. And I say that now, going back and watching all of it. WCW was a little bit more all-encompassing. And it was a great variety show. Like, you had the mainstays like Luger and Sting, Flair, the WCW guys bred through and through. Then you had the WWF crossovers, 
the NWO, the, the big three. You had the new stars that they built, like Goldberg. You had a cruiserweight division. You had a strong tag division. It was just everything you could want in wrestling from 97 through 98. I think there was no better company than WCW. Unfortunately, they dropped the ball and WWF drove them out of business, but for a multitude of reasons. I've watched wrestling ever since. As I've gotten older, I can't say that I've watched it on a monthly basis or even a weekly basis. Like, I don't watch Raw or any of the weekly shows on a consistent basis, but I'll still watch the pay-per-views, and I'll still keep up with the product, but a lot of it's through Bleacher Report, reading the summaries, and things like that. But if you were to ask me my favorite era, I guess, as a as an adult, even though I didn't live through it, completely or was cognizant of it, I still got to say the whole Monday Night Wars mm. from 96 through, I would say, the end of 99 when WCW really started to lose its way. You'll never see something like that ever again. To have two companies, three if you include ECW, which as niched as it was, 96 through 98, that was the, the heyday of ECW. Mm-hmm. To have three companies all doing great stuff, pushing new stars. Wrestling itself was hot. Kids who were not even wrestling fans knew who Stone Cold Steve Austin was or Hollywood Hogan or Sting. Regardless of what side you were on, wrestling was never more popular than it was during that time period. And I think I'm very blessed to have grown up in that era. But at the same token, the flip side is I've had to watch the rock and wrestling era through the network and through DVDs. So that's how I became acclimated to my prior history. So I've always been more than willing to, to catch up on the stuff that I've missed. And I've, you know, I, I know a little bit about the AWA and NWA, but I, I wasn't and still am not 100% an expert in either of those fields. But WWF, WCW, those, those are my big, that's where most of my knowledge comes from. If you were to pick a favorite wrestler, who would it be? I, I hate this question, and I knew you were going to ask it. So I put it on the format. <laughs> I, I know you did, but this is the, it's like asking me what's my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I've sort of gone in phases. When I was a, first getting into wrestling, it was The Rock. Even though I was a WCW guy, I would watch Raw just to see what The Rock was going to say or what wild hijinks he was going to do. But if you're asking me now, knowing everything that I know and have absorbed all of the the knowledge that I possess, to twist in my arm and ask me who's my favorite wrestler, I'm honestly going to tell you Kurt Angle. Oh, wow. And here's why. For a guy who, he has the pedigree, no pun intended, sorry, Triple H, <laughs> the, to be an Olympic wrestling champion, to pick up the business as quickly as he did. I don't think any crossover athlete has done it more efficiently than he did to go from debuting to being world champion in a year and to be the total package. The in-ring work speaks for itself. He could cut promos. He could play a heel. He could play a face. He could work with anybody. Like, he's wrestled everyone from Rey Mysterio, who's five foot nothing, to the Giants, like Big Show and Undertaker. And even as he got older, you get to the TNA era, he got good matches out of people that I have little to no respect for, like Ken Anderson. Or I'm not high on a guy like Abyss, but they had some good matches. So when I think of those five tool players in pro wrestling and being the, the total package, again, sorry, Lex Luger, I do think it's Kurt Angle. Like, if you ask me who's the greatest objectively, not counting star power or anything like that, but just what, to me, a pro wrestler should be, I think it's Kurt Angle. Interesting. If I were to answer that, it, it, it's crazy to me because I do have an affinity for Sting. 
when I was getting into WCW NWA at that time, I mean, he was just a huge face of that company. I rooted for that guy when he hurt his knee and faced Flair at the Great American Bash 90. He was just somebody I really, really got behind and loved him, loved him. But I got to go with Hogan. Hogan's always going to be my number one. That era of Hogan, once we get to it, when we get to the, the rock and wrestling era, when wrestling became really big, you know, I'm going to have a lot of really good things to say about Hogan. But then, like, the older I got, me and Adam would have wars <laughs> over the fact that he was a Bret Hart guy. I was a Shawn Michaels guy. I enjoyed watching his work a lot growing up. And these are guys who, they love the business, and they always put, you know, the show and the fans first. It, whatever worked for the show as a whole, they would do. And when we get into the you know the Hogan era, Shawn Michaels era, we're going to talk about egos. We're going to talk massive egos. And I think this business just thrives on massive egos. And I don't think you can survive in it without a huge ego, you know. And I and it, it's going to be fun to go into that. You know, the same way we look at movies, we're going to look at wrestling. One thing I did want to point out too was, you know, when we're going into this, we're going to be watching each event and we're going to dissect the matches. And we're going to give an overall rating for the event. Matt, you're the one who pushed for that, correct? You didn't want to rate each match match by match. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of wrestling shows should be looked at as a as an overall card. Because we often talk about there's a lot of infamous pay-per-views that are quote-unquote one-match shows. And I think the idea of one match saving a show borders on absurdity for me because with four hours of content or three in some cases that typically was the standard for a while if 20 minutes of it are great and the rest of it is bad to me i have to view that show in a negative light so that that's sort of my my opinion on how we how i score pay-per-views now with that said talking about egos i will respectfully disagree with what you said to a degree i think the idea you can survive but you don't get to the top without having an ego and brett and sean i think Part of what you said is true, but I think even Hogan, there were times where they put themselves over the good of the product. But you could say that about almost every top star that we've experienced. Rock, Austin, Hogan, obviously, Flair, Brett and Sean. There's very few what I would call entirely selfless professional wrestlers who are, who are at the, the echelon of their craft. It, much like politics in, in general, it is a cutthroat business. It is the definition of a shark tank. you got to play the game in order to put yourself in a position to where you're that you're that top star. I don't think in the annals of, of wrestling there's such a thing as like a happy accident. There are very few and far between. There's a clear trajectory. And that that's the thing that I love about wrestling is watching the gradual build of a new star. You see the through line. You see the debut. You see them escalate. You see them become that top guy in an organic way. There was a point where they stop doing that and they would just pull the trigger on somebody whether they were ready or not and that's to me something that's hurt the business looking at it now i also want to point out that i do realize we we both realize that there are a shit ton of wrestling podcasts out there a lot of them i listen to myself but one thing we want to point out you know none of us have been in the business um none of us have lived through the business all of us are just fans and, uh, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, Matt and I discuss this a lot. We're going to have the occasional run-in. We'll have people come <laughs> on and uh, do things here and there to uh, talk. You know, uh, Adam wants to come on again when we talk Bret Hart, whatnot. And we have a couple other people who we have on the back burner. But mostly it's just going to be me and Matt because this is something that, again, this is a passion that me and Matt have been wanting to do for years and years. Right, Matt? 
Oh God, this has been something we've talked ever since we started talking to each other and became yeah. close friends. It's always been we talk about it in private, but there there's never been that real opportunity for us to delve into it fully. And I think when we made the decision to launch our own site, this was close to the top of our list of things to do. Probably second after continuing our our three men in a retro style of of movie reviews, this was probably one B. But with that. I know, you know, you asked me a question, and that'll sort of be the intro. We'll talk about some of our favorite stuff, kind of talk about broad. So I want to ask you the question. If you ever got into the business, what would you see yourself doing? Oh, boy. Interesting. So, I, could... I, have, I, I have my answer if you want to gestate on it. When I was a kid, when, you're, when they ask you what do you want to be when you grow up, I used to say I wanted to be a wrestling manager. I wanted to be Paul Heyman. I wanted to be the the on-screen guy who doesn't get in the ring, but... I like, you know, you incorporate your own shenanigans, you come up with a gimmick. I think that was like my first thing I wanted to do. It was either that or being a commentator. I, yeah. I never had any desire to get in the ring because while I'm on the tall side, I, I don't think my body would hold up well, and I'm not very good with my motor skills. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's ever seen me golf or, or, or play sports, it's not. It's not a pretty sight, so that's kind of my where I would have envisioned myself is in, in a managerial position. Ever since I started watching the WCW, WCW product, I was always an admirer of Jim Ross's work, and I think if I were to get in the business, if you had asked me when I was twelve and I was going around in my swimming pool, calling it the GWP, you know, Garrett's Wrestling Pool, and having friends over and having tag team matches and whatnot in our swimming pool, I would probably tell you, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be a wrestler. You know, I like to throw people around for a bit. But as I got older, man, I gotta say, Jim Ross was like it for me, and I would have loved to have been like a Jim Ross commentator, right next to like a like I, I think one of the best commentators of all time is Jesse Ventura. Actually, I, I think he was so quick-witted but at the same time he he's he was a color man who said it he was the guy who promoted himself as being the guy who tells it like it is but you know he did have good moments of commentary while he was doing it and uh we're gonna get into that when we definitely get into these events commentator for me yeah, sir yeah it's funny you mentioned jim ross and this opens up the question of grace commentator i have to view it as duos because i don't think you can really succeed on your own i mean joey styles did it but it was a niche market, yeah. and I think that that style would not translate to a broader scale. For me, even though I didn't live through it, it's always going to be Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. They're the R2-D2 and C-3PO of pro wrestling, where they were so quick-witted, they played off each other so well, and Gorilla Monsoon made you believe that Hulk Hogan was a real-life superhero and that Bobby Heenan was the devil. Mm-hmm. Like He was evil incarnate. And I love Jesse Ventura. I think he did some great work. Early Jerry Lawler was great. Yeah. Hell, Vince, Vince was a great commentator when he did it. Part Vince was, was a little that, enthusiastic. There were times when he was good, but there were most times, oh, what a maneuver. <laughs> so oh, oh, yeah. Well, his three counts were yeah. one, two, three, no, two, three, no, no. Um, which Don West would take that and just destroy it. I think that man has ruined commentating oh, wow. for, for the longest of times. But, you know, every piece of the business is an art form, right down to setting up the ring, the, the lighting, the the pyrotechnics people. It's mm-hmm. just, it is, when it is done well, there's nothing like it. And if you've ever had the opportunity, much like I have, I've been to WrestleManias. I've been to pay-per-views. If you ever have the opportunity to go, it's a great experience. Even nowadays with the business not being anywhere near as prominent as it was during our early upbringing, it's still a cool thing to see that kids are still into it and it's still got that, that generational appeal. Even if I don't enjoy it, the fact that someone else does makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. 
You know, it's crazy you mentioned that because today, as we're recording, WWE is in Reno tonight. They're at the convention center, which is literally a walk away from where I work. And so I've been seeing wrestling T-shirts and wrestlers in the casino throughout the course of uh, this weekend. It's just kind of funny. And I was and I was kicking myself because me and the guy I work with, we were thinking about going for a while. And then for some reason, it just kind of faltered and we were not going, which I'm kind of sad about because I would have loved to have gone tonight. But yeah, I have been to Raw and I have been to Super Brawl, a couple of the Super Brawls when they came to Frisco. And I went to the Royal Rumble when it came to Frisco as well. Other than that, I, you know, I haven't... Royal Rumble, I'm sorry, I was in San Jose that year. Other than that, those are the events I've been to, and we'll, we'll get to those eventually. You know, it's going to be funny because, you know, <laughs> it's going to be funny to go through the 80s and, and 90s because the majority of those portions, I mean, most of those years had four pay-per-views, and that was it. <laughs> and yeah, then, you, you, had, you had your big four if you were a WWF yeah. guy. And once in a while, you'd have King of the Ring. King of the Ring, that would be your fifth. yeah. And then, you know, and then WCW would have Starcade and it had Super Brawl and, you know, they, they would put theirs in as well. Great American Bash. That was another big one. Eventually, we got to one, we got to 24 pay-per-views a year. And then uh, I guess, I don't know, once WCW folded, they were still going like that for a while, wasn't it? Well, what WWF basically once, once the war escalated between In Your Houses and the Big Four, there was a pay-per-view every month. And they, they still do that to this day, but you're right that, like, once WCW and ECW folded and you had the invasion angle, which, oh, my God, the, the biggest disaster in the history of pro wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, from a creative standpoint and an ego standpoint, they were still doing pay-per-views here. It was Royal Rumble, No Way Out, WrestleMania, Backlash, Judgment Day. June was usually King of the Ring. You'd have something in July, SummerSlam, Unforgiven, No Mercy, Survivor Series, Armageddon. And I think that was the... That was the calendar when I was growing up, and I knew that like the back of my hand. Do you have like a favorite pay per view like theme outside of WrestleMania? Uh, outside of Mania, huh? I am um... because for me, I love I love the Rumbles. Yeah, well, I was a as a WCW kid. I always loved Halloween Havoc. I thought they always oh yeah had fun. they had fun great. with the, the stage and yes. the, and some of the the aesthetic stuff that they came up with. Because one of the things I don't like about the Attitude Era among a lot of things, was how depressing everything got. It was no mercy. Yeah. Armageddon, even King of the Ring, they changed it from being purple and it was royal. There's a fucking electric chair on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> WCW had fun pay-per-view themes like, you know, Batch at the Beach and Halloween Havoc and... Mayhem. Mayhem sold out. It was an entire NWO pay-per-view, which was uh-huh. really... Just... They had a lot of fun and... As we'll talk about, it stopped being fun after a certain point to where even the most hardcore of WCW fans said, I can't. It was fun, but it's that friend that stays on your couch for way too long. You got to you gotta move on. And I still haven't watched the final, I would say, two years of WCW. So once we get to those eras, <laughs> hold my hand because you're going to have to lead me through those. <laughs> yeah, it's um, some, some of those are, are rough to get through. But. Yeah. Some WWF years or WWE years that are that are just as bad. It's the, the business as ebbs and flows. Sometimes you'll have, like you said, 2000. I think that's a really strong year. But 99 for the WWF and even for WCW, there was some good. But there was, I think, the bad outweighed the good. And if you ask me, what's the best year in wrestling? I would say 19, like I said, 1997. Just 97 is a popular one. 
and, and even for the for what it created, because we'll talk about the Montreal screw job and mm-hmm. even outside of that, there was just a lot of really creative stuff. Yeah, and then you had, you know, one of the biggest letdowns in history when you were building for a year and a half to Hogan Sting, and we saw how that ended up, but we'll get... Yeah, and we, when people say that's the end of, the beginning of the end of WCW, yeah. I disagree. 1998 was their most profitable year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Bischoff will say that too. Yeah, and I will always say, WCW to me, it didn't end with the finger poke of doom. It was a black stain, but it, I don't think that was the end. The end of WCW to me was when was when Turner Broadcasting said no more wrestling. Yeah. Um, Because even though 2000, it was tough to watch, as long as you had TV time and you still had a marketing department, you still had a product. Where do you stand on Shivani? Oh, boy, we're going to do this now. The man did his job. He gets a lot of hate from the the Internet, certain groups. The man was, he was no different than what a lot of commentators do. He was your play-by-play guy. And I think he did that really well. Like, he made the NWO seem so real. And so they were literally this invasive force. He's not my favorite, but I think he gets a, he gets a bad rap. I'm completely with you on that. I think a lot of the stuff he did with Ventura was actually really good, which uh, we'll eventually get to. But, yeah, and him and Heenan were just great. But Heenan was great with everybody. So, yeah, just to rehash here, yeah, that's what our show is going to be. It's going to be the retrospective format. We're going to go... From event to event, starting in 1983, Starcade, and then we're going to move up from there. Hell, <laughs> Matt, I don't think your parents had even met by 1983. <laughs> I'd rather not say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's sort of the the general vibe. But since this is our intro show, I have five lightning round questions that I came up with. Oh, just to have some fun because these are sort of the. We'll never do a show about best and worst of blank, but. What is your all-time favorite wrestling finishing move? And if you say the leg drop, I'm going to... I was just about... (laughs) I know you're a Hogan guy, but come on. All right, let me think here. You know what? All right, I'll I'll, I'll say this. I loved the rocket launcher that the uh, Midnight Express did. Yeah, tag team finisher moves could be its own segment. That's true. But as a solo... Oh, God. You know, you can't, for excitement, you can't go wrong with, like, a, a stunner given in, like, 97, 98 to get that crowd just in an uproarious fashion. Those would be my favorites. So I got I got the diamond cutter. Oh, uh, nice. Because I like, when I think of wrestling moves, I, I want something that you can do to anybody. And all the reversals he'd come up with it, all the different transitions, like he would counter a choke slam into a diamond cutter. He did it off the top rope at one point. He did a... You reverse the jackhammer into a diamond cutter. It was just, it was so creative with it. And you could literally do it on anybody from, you know, Chris Jericho to the giant. He could hit it on almost anybody. As far as tag teams, it's got to be the doomsday device. Um, oh, Because nice. they were so stiff, the Road Warriors, when, when they delivered that move to people they didn't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and stuff was, like a lot of things in wrestling, very visible on camera. I also like the uh, Brain Busters uh uh, spike pile driver. I thought that was a cool move. I think the Brainbusters, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, their era in WWF in the uh, late '80s is really overlooked. I think that they did some really, really good stuff in that time. You know, they were champions for a while, and they had a pretty bad breakup at the hands of you know Tully Blanchard actually failing a drug test. <laughs> it didn't end very well, but I think they did some good stuff in there. And I think the spike pile driver was always a just a devastating looking move but in true Arn Anderson fashion it looked as way worse than it actually felt 
But yeah, right. Road Warriors are great. And you know, for those who want to follow along, get the Peacock Network, and we'll, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going Peacock. Hell, and I have videotapes of versions of the majority of these events that we're going to be covering. Get geared up because that's how uh, we're going to be uh, covering these. We'll be watching them on the Peacock Network and giving our own dissection and rating the events at the very end. So my, that ties into my second question. What's your favorite tag team? My favorite tag team, oh my God. See, you know what? I'm going to go Steiner Brothers. I love the Steiner Brothers growing up. Uh, late 80s, early 90s Steiner Brothers stuff is fucking amazing. I think the uh, Frankensteiner revolutionized wrestling. I, I think a lot of what, at least in the American side, I mean, I'm sure they were probably doing that on, on, in New Japan for a while before Scott Steiner was doing it. But as a wrestling fan growing up, that move just was amazing to me. And I think the Steiner brothers as a tag team were always just so exciting. And man, could they get that crowd going. And I was also a big fan of the Rockers, too. When you talk about the Steiners, how athletic they were for being guys who were really built. Mm-hmm. And, kind of, you know, once Steiner hit the juice, a lot of that stuff he couldn't yeah. do anymore. So it was kind of it was a little unfortunate. You know, their WWF run wasn't great. Uh, but you, if you look at a lot of their, um, you know, their WCW stuff, it was it was really quality work. Uh, for mine, and, and this is funny because I'm not even a fan of the guy as a solo star. I think the Hart Foundation. When I think of tag teams and having to utilize your partner to win a match, because yeah. their dynamics were so different. And for all the crap, you know, we always talk about, you know, who's the Marty Jannetty of, of a tag team. <laughs> it should be who's the Jim Neidhart. Yeah, Marty Jannetty, Marty Jannetty was a lot more. Um, dynamic than Jim Neidhart ever was, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, or Stevie Ray. Who's the Stevie Ray of the team? You know, just Yeah, you know, not yeah. everybody can be uh not everybody can be a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart. hmm But yeah, so now we're now we're gonna get into a funny one. You're gonna you laugh when I say this. What do you think is the greatest or most hysterical botch in the history of wrestling? It can be in the ring, it can be a promo, it could be just an accident. You know what makes me laugh every time I see it? Is when I got I got two and they're tied for the best for me. One, if you watch SummerSlam '89 and that sign falls and Mean Gene Oakland just yells "fuck it" like that, it's fucking great. That's fantastic, and I love when Brian Pillman goes after Heenan and Heenan's not expecting it, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Right in the middle of that clash of champions. Those are my two favorite botches ever. So I I have two. One is a promo. One is in ring. As much as I wanted to say the Shockmaster because that's so infamous. I went with, oh, yeah. so Gene Okerlund did an interview with Ken Patera. It was a behind-the-scenes promo. And he screwed it up so bad that Gene Okerlund, the consummate professional, couldn't even contain his laughter. <laughs> he had to look away completely. He put his, his elbow over his, his mouth because he was laughing so hard. Just It's one of the greatest failed interviews of all time. Second, I don't like to make light of injuries, but for God's sake... Psycho Sid breaking his leg in WCW. Oh, God. Yeah, that as, was... As, as nasty as it was, the reason I call it my favorite is because what did they think was going to happen? You have this seven-foot monster who is not the most athletic man in the world. You put him in the ring with Scott Steiner, who by 2000 was a botch master. Mm-hmm. He planted his foot wrong, just shattered completely. It's one of the, well, what did you expect botches. But if you're asking me to pick something that was funny, was watching The Undertaker slip on blood at SummerSlam 2004 and almost fall off JBL's limo. I almost fell out of my chair. I was laughing so hard because The Undertaker was so caught off guard. He just slipped on, like, blood or something. 
And it was, oh, it, it's those little, those unplanned moments that you just, that yeah. you kill. Oh, that, and that's the thing about wrestling is that it's so produced that when you do get those botch moments, it's, it, it's, it's something you, you just, you, you cannot believe it, but it, you're just like, did I just fucking see that? You know? <laughs> and there are plenty of those once we get into it. There, there'll be so many of them that even as a kid, I never even noticed that I, I watched it as an adult. And I'm like, wow, they really fucked that up. All right, so the other thing I want to mention too, Matt, is that we've decided in very original fashion to release this podcast on Mondays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're going to try to go weekly. It'll be tough with our schedules, and we're already doing one show a week at least. Uh, we'll see if we can keep that up. But I do want to do like an event a week. And, you know, maybe get up to 88, 89 by the couple years that we're into this. That would be nice. And then eventually maybe do some Saturday Night's Main events or something in the future as well. It's a very exciting thing for me. I, I, I've been wanting to do a wrestling podcast for so long. And once I met you and we decided that, you know, we were, we were kind of, when it came to wrestling, it's like we're such two peas in a pod and we could talk wrestling forever. Hell, me, you, and Adam talk wrestling all the time. And when you've the few times you've even mentioned it, you even made undertaker's last ride one of your favorite films of last year <laughs> like you know you, you you're so and, and, and i'm into it as well but i'm into the older stuff so once i get past 2004 that's all going to be foreign territory for me and i'm, I'm actually really really looking forward to that because i i think i missed out on you know the massive cena era the, the the batista era and all that um i guess they call it the ruthless aggression era i guess uh, after uh, 2004 well, Ruthless Aggression would be 02 to 04 is what that is. Okay. 2004 to 2008, I just call that the disappointment era because <laughs> it's an official title and there's some there's some rough stuff. And then 08 on is like the PG era. You know, it doesn't have like an attitude title or rock and wrestling or new generation. After Ruthless Aggression, it's whatever you want to call it. Gotcha. Well, so that's pretty much what this wrestling podcast will consist of. Anything else you want to add before we close things up here? Yeah, if you want to mention where we're starting... Yeah, I mentioned it. It's going to be Starcade at 83. Yep. So we got 40, 40 years to, to catch up to where we are. Yeah. We'll never be caught up, but it's one of those it's one of those great things because there's going to be some stuff early on I, I have not seen. So it'll be interesting. You'll guide me through this part, and then I'll, I'll be like, okay, Boomer, I'm taking over. <laughs> Let's get to 04. And, yes, before you ask, the impressions are coming. Because I do have quite a catalog, if you've listened to past shows. If you just listened to The Batman and Robin, I have a pretty good Jesse Ventura. Oh, I've done God. Hulk Bearer. I've done Hulk Hogan. Everybody's got Macho Man, so I don't feel proud that, that I can do it. Uh, Your Vince is pretty damn good, too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, my Austin's great. So yeah. there's, there's plenty of stuff you'll be hearing as we get closer. I do a very good Shawn Michaels, although it hurts to do it, because he, he's got such a grovelly voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is something we've, we've talked about doing for a long time, and it's exciting that we're finally putting this to fruition. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, just, just doing pay-per-views back to back to back with you and uh, just watching them, taking notes like I do with the movies, and then just kind of taking a more relaxed approach when it comes to actually recording these and, you know, reviewing them together. I, again, like once we launched our, our brand new platform, once we launched our own thing, this was something me and Matt were like, okay, we're going to do the wrestling now. And it's not that Adam's against doing it. You know, Adam's still going to be a part of the, the movie shows and whatnot. But, at, you know, when it came to this, like, I think me and Matt have the more passion than, than Adam does when it comes to wrestling. But, yeah, so that does it. And uh, so until we go into Starcade 83, I'll see you at the matches. Thanks, Matt. 
absolutely not. We have a cover, ha. such as it is, two in it. All right, give me a uh, countdown. We'll get going. Three. Well, I should be counting one, two, three. So three, <laughs> two, one. Uh, yeah, there you go. So three, two, one, go. 